Friday, Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes is coming to IMAX and theaters everywhere. This summer, one movie event will reign. It is our time. They stole my village. I know where they're taking your clan. Bend for your king. Never. Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes. Only in theaters Friday. Tickets on sale now. Rated PG-13. Some material may be inappropriate for children under 13. Well, America, we're on the eve of an historic day in this country as Washington prepares for a momentous and unconventional presidential inauguration. Not only will Joe Biden be sworn in as our 46th president, but Kamala Harris will become the first black woman and first Asian American to ever serve as vice president, meaning the deeply racially divisive presidency of Donald Trump will be flanked by two of the most historic administrations in American history, both of which included Joe Biden. The president-elect arrived in a city on lockdown this afternoon, two weeks from a homegrown insurrection sparked by the current president, yet already exhibiting national leadership in this unprecedented moment. They began by showing the compassion for the now 400,000 thousand American dead that's been so lacking all this year, holding a solemn and moving ceremony at the Lincoln Memorial this evening, illuminating two columns of light to represent those more than 400,000 Americans who have died from COVID-19. It was a fitting and much belated tribute to those victims of the pandemic. Friday, Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes is coming to IMAX and theaters everywhere. This summer, one movie event will reign. It is our time. They stole my village. I know where they're taking your clan. Bend for your king. Never. Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes. Only in theaters Friday. Tickets on sale now. Rated PG-13. Some material may be inappropriate for children under 13. To heal, we must remember. It's hard sometimes to remember. But that's how we heal. It's important to do that as a nation. That's why we're here today. Between sundown and dusk, let us shine the lights in the darkness along the sacred pool of reflection. Remember all whom we lost. While COVID restrictions have precluded a large turnout tomorrow, the National Mall will remain covered with a field of flags to represent those who are unable to attend. Incoming President Biden is also planning a show of bipartisan unity tomorrow. At his invitation, congressional leaders of both political parties will attend services at St. Matthew's Cathedral in the morning. And then in the afternoon, former Presidents Clinton, Bush and Obama will join Biden, who by then will be their fellow president, to lay a wreath at the tomb of the unknown soldier. Now, tomorrow is also notable for who won't be there. Unwilling to show his face at the ceremonies, Trump will retreat to his safe space at Mar-a-Lago, where he'll mark the expiration of his one-term presidency. It's the first time an outgoing president has skipped his successor's inauguration in 150 years. Instead, Trump released a farewell address 
in a pre-taped video late today. And without irony, he's now complaining about a loss of confidence in our, quote, national greatness. That's despite his efforts to discredit the very institutions that make America great in the first place. In contrast, sources tell NBC News that Biden's inaugural address will focus on themes of unity and the, quote, need to bring the country together during an unprecedented moment of crisis. Tomorrow's ceremonies will take place against the backdrop of a heavily fortified capital, with National Guard troops reaching 25,000. That's more than triple the number four years ago. And after reports that the FBI was screening those very troops for potential inside threats. Meanwhile, the Senate kicked off confirmation hearings for Biden's nominees to the Senate, Defense, Treasury and Homeland Security Departments, as well as the Director of National Intelligence. I'm joined now by MSNBC correspondent Mike Memoli. And Mike, no one knows Biden like you know Biden. And can you just take a moment to talk about the significance of this man's journey? The first, the only the second Catholic president of the United States, the oldest uh, president of the United States. Talk a little bit about what this all means for his journey. Well, Joy, as I've been speaking to a, a number of former and current Biden officials, I keep hearing the same thing, which is that this is the moment uh, that Biden was really called to lead at, at a time of real urgency that's needed at this moment. Obviously, he ran Joy for president twice before and didn't see success in either of those efforts. He didn't expect to be able to run uh, in 2020. He thought when he left the White House with President Obama, he was ending his political career. But then Donald Trump happened. And now the watchword of the Biden campaign, of the Biden transition, and in a matter of hours, the Biden administration is really urgency. And that's the message that they've been trying to convey. And I think, though, today, what I really was struck by, as we get ready to see the Biden administration roll out a number of initiatives, executive orders, Today, though, was about emotion. We heard when I started the day in Wilmington, uh, the president-elect talking about his son, about how Delaware has a piece of his heart. Uh, tonight, what a striking scene here uh, on the National Mall, uh, a real stri a striking contrast with President Trump. Biden advisors have always said empathy was his superpower, and we really saw that on display, a moment to for the first time, really, have a national reckoning of the 400,000 lives were lost. But more than anything, Biden feels this moment is called for unity. And that's going to be, as you say, the theme of his inaugural address. He was mocked, uh, criticized by his Democratic rivals in the primary for his belief that he could bring the country together. And the inaugural address he'll deliver uh, is going to be the first test in just uh, whether he's going to be able to pull that off, what kind of message he can uh, delivered to a much larger audience than throughout this campaign and whether they'll listen to it. A big test ahead for him, Joy. Yeah, I have asked him that question with great skepticism before, and he really does believe that he can do it. So it'll be, uh, it'll be, I think we'll all be rooting for him to certainly try. Mike Memley, I hope that we can call upon your services uh, a lot over the next four years because you are the guy who knows Biden more than anyone. Uh, thank you, sir. You really you. appreciate you. Uh, and join Cheers. And joining me now is my friend and colleague, Ali Velshi, host of MSNBC's Velshi. And I count on you now, my friend, to give us the feel, the vibe. I saw it for myself at the Capitol today. For those who are not uh, lucky enough to be able to see that in person, what is it like down there this evening? 
It's surreal. It is still, uh, it's beautiful. I will say that, but it is empty, uh, except for National Guard and police. There's every kind of police around us. As you said, 25,000 National Guard. But, uh, I will say this, uh, it, it has, the message has been clear that this, this capital will not be overtaken by rioters. It will not be overtaken by insurrectionists. And this inauguration will go on as planned. As you know, there were, uh, demonstrations and, and, and protests planned for Sunday and then today and tomorrow. None of them have materialized. This city is locked down. The concentric circles from the Capitol behind me and the White House have been extending. There is National Guard all over the city. Uh, it feels safe right now, uh, Joy. It is going to be a very, very, very unusual inauguration, but it is underway. The vice president, Joe Biden, is at Blair House now. It's across the road from the White House, the shadow of the White House, where Donald Trump is spending his last night. As you know, he will not attend the inauguration. He'll be out of town before Joe Biden becomes the president at noon Eastern tomorrow. Joy. Uh, we are all counting uh, the minutes. I think a lot of Americans are uh, for that. Uh, Ali Velshi, thank you so much. Be safe. Appreciate you. Meanwhile, it has been an emotional journey for Joe Biden, who today marked his departure from Delhi. Friday, Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes is coming to IMAX and theaters everywhere. What a wonderful day! This summer, one movie event will reign. It is our time. My village. I know where they're taking your clan. Bend for your king. Never. Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes. Only in theaters Friday. Tickets on sale now. Rated PG-13. Some material may be inappropriate for children under 13. Where with a heartfelt goodbye. I'm honored. I'm truly honored to be your next president and commander-in-chief. And I'll always be a proud son of the state of Delaware. Excuse the emotion, but when I die, Delaware will be written on my heart. Democratic Senator Chris Coons of Delaware was at the president-elect's big send-off, and he joins me now. And, Senator, um, you know, Joe Biden you know, talks about himself as a man of Scranton, Pennsylvania, um, but whose dad had to move to Delaware. He told that moving story at the Democratic National Convention because of needing a job and needing a new start. And Delaware is where they went. Um, you were there as he gave that emotional address, good, saying goodbye uh, to Delaware for his new home uh, in, the, in, in the White House. Talk a little bit about that. Uh, what does it mean to Delaware? What does it mean to Joe Biden? You inherited the seat that he left in the United States Senate. I just want to let you sort of wrap up kind of what all of this means uh, as a Delawarean yourself. Well, Joy, this was a powerful send off today uh, from Newcastle County Airport from the Bo Biden National Guard Center. Uh, and I think it was uh, powerful for all of us that moment that Joe was overcome by emotion at the combination uh, of looking out at his grandchildren, his extended family, uh, those among us here in Delaware who've known him and served alongside him or supported him or been his friends for decades, and contemplating the prospect that lies before him. He becomes our president tomorrow. He takes the presidency on at a moment of enormous challenge and peril and difficulty for our nation. And Joe is leaving Delaware without his beloved son, Bo, for whom that National Guard Center is named. Um, so I think there were yeah, a lot I, of there wasn't a dry eye in the place uh, today as he gave his farewell address. We all um, send our prayers and our support and our enthusiasm for him. Uh, and as you just commented, one of the reasons for Joe's cockeyed optimism about the possibility of still being able to work together, even in such a divided country, 
is because that's how we do it in this small state of Delaware. It's not easy. It's not obvious. It's not simple. But it requires effort and it requires a willingness to compromise. We don't have any other choice in this moment when 400,000 Americans have died. We don't have any other choice in this deeply divided nation um, but to take a risk on coming together and on trying to move forward. And Joe Biden is exactly the well, man for this moment to lead us forward. Yeah. Let, let, let's jump right into that agenda because it's a big one. It's a lot. There are a lot of asks here. Let's put it up on the screen. Joe Biden's day one agenda going all the way from a pathway to citizenship, which has already sparked some rancor on the other side of the aisle, to reversing the Muslim ban, rejoining the World Health Organization, so critical for fighting COVID, rejoining the Paris Agreement, pausing student loans, no evictions, foreclosures. It's a big, it's a big list of items. Where do you begin in a Senate where Mitch McConnell is still there, even as minority leader, and where people like Josh Hawley and Ted Cruz have made it their business to try to essentially destroy any of that agenda on the way in because of their own ambitions? Well, Joy, if you told me back in December um, that we would be in the majority here in January, I I would have told you, look, I believe in my dear friend Stacey Abrams and all the organizing work in Georgia. I believe in John Ossoff and in Reverend Warnock and in their capabilities, but it's going to take a miracle for us to win both of those seats in Georgia in a special election tomorrow. Uh, those two gentlemen will be sworn in to the Senate of the United States. Um, I, If you had told me a month ago that Mitch McConnell would be saying he is open to voting to convict Donald Trump of high crimes and misdemeanors, I would have said that'll never happen in my lifetime. He has publicly said that. And on the floor of the Senate, he has said that he uh, blames Donald Trump uh, for summoning those protesters, that angry mob that desecrated our Capitol last Wednesday. So I know it's going to take a lot of hard work. It's going to take some unexpected developments. Um, But I remain hopeful, frankly, because we have no other choice. We are going to have to work hard to protect Americans who tonight are facing eviction, who who have suffered through job loss, who have lost members of their family. Joy, we're in the middle of so many crises, it's hard to count them all. Joe Biden is the man who can give us the hope, who believes in us, that we can still move forward. We're going to do our absolute best to make this happen. I don't doubt that you all will try. Before I let you go, I want to allow you and the rest of us to sort of soak in what the new world sounds like. This is some of the confirmation hearings that we heard today. Do we have that? Cut to? We we don't. Okay. well, we don't have it. I I really wish I. Oh. I guess we don't have it, unfortunately, but this was some of the confirmation hearings in which we heard people who actually know what they're doing uh, being confirmed. So I'm sure that you're looking forward to having those people to work with. Senator Chris Coons, thank you very much for your patience, sir, to this evening. And thank you uh, very much. We're looking forward to seeing what you get. Guys, get done. All right. And up next on the readout, a failed presidency comes to a bitter, violent end. On his final day, Trump is still wallowing in his baseless conspiracy theories, while Mitch McConnell finally breaks with his old partner in crime. Plus, a preview of my exclusive interview with Speaker Nancy Pelosi. Donald Trump was a a stain on our country. Uh, I don't think we could have sustained our democracy if he had two terms in office. Back with more of the readout after this.
The Trump show is coming to a sad conclusion tomorrow. And like most things Trump, from The Apprentice to Trump University, it's going out with a whimper and not a bang. Today, he released a nearly 20-minute farewell address, making the hilariously ironic claim that he did what he came here to do and so much more. Good to know. In the next few hours, Trump is expected to issue more than 100 commutations or pardons. He's also reportedly stewing, no, 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 not about the 400,000 dead on his watch, but rather about the fact that President-elect Joe Biden got cooler and more famous people to perform at his inauguration. According to The Washington Post, he's particularly upset that Lady Gaga, Jennifer Lopez, Tom Hanks, and other stars agreed to perform. But the stench from his administration is so foul that some folks won't even bother showing up for his departure ceremony tomorrow morning. Vice President Mike Pence, soon-to-be Senate Minority Leader Mitch McConnell, and House, Majority Le- House Minority Leader Kevin McCarthy are all skipping the ceremony. They're not alone. Many former Trump officials are suddenly busy washing their hair or combing their mustaches. And if the private rebuke wasn't big enough, wasn't a big enough snub, Moscow Mitch McConnell himself today publicly accused his right up until the judges got confirmed ally Donald Trump and other powerful people, pro tip, that's you, Senators Hawley and Cruz, of feeding people lies. The mob was fed lies. They were provoked by the president and other powerful people. And they tried to use fear and violence to stop a specific proceeding of the first branch of the federal government, which they did not like. But we pressed on. We stood together and said an angry mob would not get veto power over the rule of law in our nation, not even for one night. For more, I'm joined by Ashley Parker, the brand new White House bureau chief for The Washington Post, and Michael Steele, former Republican National Committee chairman and friend of the show. Ashley Parker, first of all, congratulations on your new gig. You know what that means. You're going to have you're going to have a lot of seven o'clock. You're going to have a lot of seven o'clock hours intruded upon by this very show. Uh, So thank you so much for being here. I I am amused, I have to say, by this Trump going away party that no one wants to come to. Uh, It starts tomorrow morning at 8 a.m. They're so desperate for crowd. They're saying people can bring five additional guests. But everybody's saying no. John Kelly, no. John Bolton, no. Mitch McConnell, no. On and on and on. No. Even Mike Pence. What is the thinking inside the White House? Are they going to force like low level staff to like put on a suit and tie and go so he can have a crowd or what? Well, it's not just the people saying no. Look at the people who the invitations are being sent to just underscores the state (laughs) of things. Right. You have Anthony Scaramucci, who has disavowed the president. You have John Kelly, a former chief of staff, who has said that if he was still in the cabinet, um, he he would invoke the 25th Amendment. You have Mitch McConnell, who has said he is open to the impeachment of Donald Trump. These are sort of not your top notch party guests for a you know traditional festivities. And then they're saying no. I was talking to a senior White House official today who was saying they're not planning to attend either. This logic was a little bit different. It was, why would I stand in the freezing cold for you know many hours in advance <laughs> to say goodbye to someone who I've been in the room with you know hundreds of times over the course of this administration? Now, inside the White House, they do think people will show up, um, but, but there's certainly a kind of funny invite RSVP thing going on with who they're choosing and what the responses are coming in. <laughs> I... I 
Listen, former Chairman Steele, I don't know if you can even, I mean, maybe Mike Pompeo will be there to make sure that no one is woke or that nobody, like, dishonors the slaveholders. Um, you know, I, mean, I, I don't understand, like, what this is going to look like, but it seems like it's going to be sort of America's most embarrassing people. And that kind of is what Trump is complaining about, even about his inaugural. He got, like, bans no one heard of. And now Biden is getting like Lady Gaga on them. It's sort of it kind of is the final pastiche for Trumpism. No. Oh, oh, we went with the pastiche. OK. All right. We can do that. <laughs> I just wanted to say the word pastiche once. <laughs> we can do that. Oh, OK. You're going to whip off some, some quasi French on me. All righty. Uh, first off. First off, let me just say congrats to to my buddy, Ashley. Just well-deserved. Just a wonderful, wonderful Thank acknowledgement you. of your hard work. Um, secondly, yeah. uh, Joy, you said something leading into this about um, Trump saying something about he did what he had to do in his 20-minute uh, uh, goodbye today. He did. He did exactly what he set out to do. People need to remember he started the conversation in 2016 with Steve Bannon and Reince Priebus telling us they were going to deconstruct the administrative state. And they have spent four years wrecking every feature of our republic and every underlying pillar of our constitutional principles and ideas. So, yeah, they did what they set out to do. And the country has now returned the favor with the biggest, most powerful send off and salute they can by saying <laughs> bye bye, bye bye. <laughs> and, and the idea that he's sitting here, you know, worrying about, you know, the, talking about who's not showing up or who's coming and all this other stuff. He's going out the way he came in with a whimper. Folks did not show up in the droves that they claimed in 2016 when he said hello. And folks aren't going to show up in the droves that he wants when he says goodbye. That is the quintessential definition of the last four years. Well, it, and it is amazing when you talk about what they set out to do, Ashley. I mean, he had a very specific list of things he wanted to accomplish. Build a wall Mexico would pay for, uh, repeal Obamacare, grow the economy, build, you know, uh, bring back manufacturing, bring back coal, all of this. None of that actually happened. But I wonder if when you're talking with folks on Capitol Hill, he did accomplish something for people like Josh Hawley, who nobody knew who he was, that he sort of laid out a groundwork for how you could acquire power without accomplishment. Right. You had Josh Hawley today trying to block the Department of Homeland Security nominee for uh, incoming President Biden, the one Latino guy trying to block him because of caravans and he doesn't like DACA. And so Alejandro Mayorkas should not be able to be confirmed. Like he, he sort of laid a groundwork for that. Right. I guess. Is that what Republicans are thinking? In certain ways, uh, as Michael said, he's leaving with a whimper, but it is still very much uh, for now, at least the Republican Party, the Republican Party of Trump. And he did provide a roadmap for getting quick and easy attention. If you look at, you know, some of the few prominent Congress people newly elected who are QAnon supporters um, and sort of a way of tapping into that populist base uh, of sort of getting that positive re reaffirmation by being highly controversial. You're seeing some people in the Republican Party publicly desperate to move away from it. 
And while he was present, there was a huge circle who privately would tell reporters, you know, I, I don't like this tweet. I don't like what he's doing. I think this is unacceptable and atrocious. And then you ask them when the cameras are out or when it's on the record. And well, they didn't see the tweet and they're not going to criticize the president. So it's sort of unclear where the party is going to go from there. You're going to have your Ted Cruz's, your Josh Hawley's, and you're going to have people who, you know, like those Republicans who voted for impeachment in the House. And we'll have to see what they do on the Senate side. Yeah, absolutely. And for the party, and this is something I know you are concerned about, Michael Steele, the, the mm -hmm. other sort of big thing that he revealed is that what the base of the party cares more about than policy or even taxes or whatever is this idea of trying to undo political correctness. You have Mike Pompeo, as I mentioned before, wailing on about wokeism and multiculturalism and saying, why are you so mean to people who own slaves? Be nice to them. You have this 1776 commission, which is a laughable attempt to sort of rip off the 1619 project with a new version of history that says, no, slavery was fine. It's all good. Don't say mean things about our founders. Like th that is what people care more about, right? Is that people are too woke on campuses. That's the thing they care about in the Republican Look, base. No, I, I agree with that, uh, Joy. And, and there is a legitimate um, uh, concern about the degree to which and the extent to which some of this wokeness gets played out um, when it comes to conservatives and, and center-right individuals around the country. And it's a fair argument to make. But this idea that you're now going to come back around and deny American history and deny the facts as they existed then and as they exist now um, is where you lose legitimacy. We can be a party that 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 speaks truthfully about our history, but also has to acknowledge that truth. Yeah, indeed. But if, if, if the if the legacy of Trump is one thing, it's making the Republican Party the anti-wokeness party. That seems like what they really care about. Uh, Ashley Parker, congratulations again. Michael Steele, thank you very much, my friend. Appreciate you. you and up next, a sneak peek at my exclusive cheers, my exclusive interview with Speaker Nancy Pelosi. You will hear her thoughts on Trump, on Biden and the road ahead for Democrats. We'll be right back after this. Speaker Nancy Pelosi is not holding anything back. Earlier today, I sat down with her inside the U.S. Capitol, a building that has been transformed since a MAGA mob attempted an insurrection. Speaker Pelosi called them terrorists, and she described Donald Trump as a stain on our country. He's not going to greet the incoming president, which may be appropriate since he tried to uh, undo, undo the election. Um, but we now have, for the first time in our history, something other than a peaceful transfer of power. That's right. What does that mean for us writ large? Well, I do think that we're bigger than all of this. Uh, Donald Trump was a, a stain on our country. Uh, I don't think we could have sustained our democracy if he had two terms in office for what he was doing to our institutions or what he was doing to our Constitution. He dishonored it. What he did to our people, he denigrated people. You know, the newcomers to our country, diversity in our country. He denigrated, dishonored the Constitution, denigrated our people, degraded our environment from sea to shining sea, God's gift to us. And beyond that, he degraded that. And he, uh, again, uh, uh, dishonored our values. That's who we are as a democratic country. So he, uh, in every respect, uh, 
was unworthy to be president, did not respect the office that he held, and certainly did not respect the, the office the rest of us hold as well. I respect the office of presidency of the president more than he did uh, for how he mistreated it. So in any event, he's gone. Uh, we have to, let, uh, we have to, how can I say it? It's not lessons learned because it was so evident all along what a disgrace he was, but, but to find out how we can bring people together. That's our responsibility. And again, nobody better than Joe Biden and Kamala Harris to do it's that. A, so Madam Speaker, I, I will admit that it is, it's something for me emotionally to be in this building knowing what happened here. Um, for you, do you, is there something about it that it feels different after what happened? A difference in resolve. That it is vulnerable, which we never thought, yeah. and that we have to uh, lift up its protection. This building had not been invaded except by the British in the War of 1812, mm -hmm. and now by the instigation uh, of the President of the United States for insurrection onto the Capitol. That's what makes it so tragic. Physical things... Um, don't mean as much to me, they are symbols. But the impact on democracy, the impact on the people who work here, that is, is almost unforgivable. Well, you know, you, and we spoke a little bit, you know, as we were preparing to walk out here about the maintenance staff who are largely, you know, black and brown um, folks who then had to come in after all of this and and clean up after it. It's It's... It's so disrespectful to these people, but also to this, to this grand place. Well, the injustice of it all, but I have to salute the custodial staff. They, every single day, make this the place it is for us to, uh, to do our work, for visitors to come, for press to cover, for staff to serve. And they do it quietly, invisibly, and the rest, until... This mob of terrorists, instigated by the President of the United States, violated, vandalized, vandalized this building. The custodial staff rose to the occasion. They restored it all without complaint. But there is an injustice there that must be corrected, that these terrorist slobs would come in here and desecrate this place, and that these good people had to clean up their mess. It's just the injustice of it all. It really makes me very angry. As you can see, she kept it real. And there is a lot more from my interview with Speaker Pelosi, including her reaction to that shocking video released this week of a member of the mob openly hunting for her inside the halls of Congress. The full interview airs tonight at 10 p.m. Eastern, right after Rachel Maddow. And we'll be right back with more on tomorrow's history-making inauguration. I'm a proud Democrat, but I will govern as an American president. But while I may be the first woman in this office, I will not be the last. Let this grim era of demonization in America begin to end here and now. Because Every little girl watching tonight sees that this 
is a country of possibilities. Tomorrow, the man who made his first run for the presidency back in 1988 will be sworn in as the 46th president of the United States with a goal of restoring the soul of this nation. Joe Biden will enter the White House with former Senator Kamala Harris at his side, and she will make history as the first woman, the first woman of color and the first woman of South Asian descent to be sworn into the second highest office in the country. And joining me now are Valerie Jarrett, former White House senior advisor to President Barack Obama, Reverend Al Sharpton, president of the National Action Network and host of Politics Nation here on MSNBC and NBC News presidential historian Michael Betchloss. Uh, but I want to start with you, um, Valerie Jarrett. Um, you know a little something about history and about um, a presidency that is steeped in it. Um, but I want to play for you um, a, a little clip of something that um, aired on our air earlier um, this year, uh, earlier this week. And this was a group of members of Kamala Harris's sorority, Alpha Kappa Alpha Incorporated, reacting to how Biden and Harris are going to govern. And just on the, the point of how black women um, are sort of experiencing this moment. And this was an interview by uh, my good friend, Tiffany Cross. So take a listen. I'm hoping that once they're in office and as they begin to, you know, um, introduce their platform to America, that people who did not vote for them will, will see that they really are for the people. I think they will just have to show by doing. Yeah. And I think that will convince some. Four years before, when the other administration won. A lot of people were not happy, but we have to move on and not create a divided country. You know, Valerie, when you think about, you know, an historically black college, black women's sororities and black organizations like the Lynx, which also uh, Kamala Harris is a member of, this is like a moment, like a joyful moment. Can we still recapture that kind of joy and that kind of history, given all of the rest of the circumstances? Oh, it, absolutely, Joy. First of all, good evening. I think I think what you just played with the AKAs it's even more relevant now. It's more important now. People are listening in a way that perhaps they didn't listen years ago. So I think this is Vice President-elect Kamala Harris's moment. She's joined by uh, a person who I know so well, Joe Biden, soon to be President Biden. I get goosebumps just watching the video you played of the two of them. Uh, and what a breath of fresh air is coming to Washington. So, yes, Joy, it has been a dreadful nightmare the last four years. But the hope and the willingness to reach out to say, I will be president for all of America, to have our sorors talk about the importance of bringing our country together, I think is a very important data point. And it's also going to be a teaching moment for America. People are going to learn who the links are, who are the AKAs, who are the Deltas. <laughs> it's going to be a whole new vocabulary. And I think it's, it shows uh, the inclusivity of America, which is our strength. Yes. And as Tiffany, who hosts the Cross Connection here on MSNBC, wrote a book about it, it's a good reason to hire more journalists of color so they can explain all of that to folks who don't understand <laughs> it. Um, you know, I, I want to ask you a question that I asked um, the speaker earlier today, Valerie. Um, and it is this, you know, they're not going to get a note, the Biden, uh, by, you know, the Bidens uh, or, or, or the Harris's um, from the current president, which is maybe for the best. But if you had to leave a note, given all your experience, and as you said, knowing Joe Biden yourself and having worked with him throughout the Obama administration and knowing uh, Senator, former Senator Harris, VP-elect Harris, what would you put in a note to them as advice? Well, first, 
Well, the reason why I'm going to be able to sleep well tomorrow night better than I have slept in four years is they don't actually need the note. Uh, they have prepared their entire life for this very moment. And what makes them special, I think, uh, as public servants is their commitment to be public servants. This is about us, the American people. That will be their true north. It will be what they focus on every single day. And won't that be refreshing after what we've been through? So my only advice to them would be to follow their true north, which I am very confident that they will do, and to recognize that this moment goes by very quickly. I was looking earlier today at some photos that I took four years ago. Uh, and in a way, it feels like a lifetime ago and another way it feels like just seconds. So treasure every moment. Valerie Jarrett, who knows a thing or two uh, about the exercise of, of presidential power in office and who uh, is, is such a, a great person in your own right. Um, and so thank you so much uh, for being thank here you, this evening. I think the sound America will hear across the country will be the sound of lots of snoring and deep sleep tomorrow night as people sleep. Thank you so much. Uh, let's go on to Michael Betchloss and Reverend Al Sharpton. You know, this is going to be, and I'll start with you on this, Michael, uh, uh, the, the sort of silence and quiet um, that we anticipate tomorrow with all of those tributes to the dead, um, which we haven't been able to have that catharsis over the last right, year, right. Um, given all the people who've died from COVID and the quiet and the, the flags rustling and all of that. In a sense, do you think that that might in a way be more meaningful than a big crowd? Oh, I think it will be more meaningful because it takes account of the moment. If we try to imitate a normal inauguration with a big crowd, pretending that there was not a pandemic, or if we try to take chances with security, uh, pretending that there was not a domestic terrorist attack on the Capitol and the Congress on the 6th of January, that would be counterfeit. So if we're going to have a, a, a ceremony of unity and reconciliation, which I'm sure tomorrow will be, you have to have one that's a little bit you know, in tune with the moment. We Americans, just as our friend Valerie was just saying, We've been through four years of a daily, hourly assault on our democracy. A president who hates democracy, has a lust for power, and topped it all off on the 6th of January by trying to take down our Congress, overturn a free presidential election, and take down our democracy. That was a near-death experience. We can't just pretend that this is just a day like any other. Yeah, indeed. And, and Rev, you know, they could have just asked you <laughs> before Americans decided to put that man in the White House. You know Donald Trump. You know exactly what he was. I know you and I have talked about it, about this before. But now that America knows, right, if you just look at the, you know, countries on the wrong track, 73 percent, 73 percent, we will remain divided over the next four years. All the polls make it clear that at least most people have woken up to really what they, you know, the buyer's remorse, I guess, for, for, for those who didn't vote for him. Um, I wonder then how you think that Biden should move forward. You know, I mean, you've run for president. You know how difficult sort of the, the, you know, the, the gig is. He's got a huge task ahead. This is a deeply divided country where the two sides don't just get along. They hate each other. Biden has uh, a real uh, situation that no one has faced uh, in many decades. Uh, we are dealing with a pandemic which is why I think it was appropriate and, and inspiring in many ways what he and our Vice President-elect Harris did tonight in paying tribute to those that lost. We shouldn't forget the uh, tens of thousands of people that died 
And many of us feel needlessly if we had a president that really had listened to the scientists when he was given the information. He has a divided country and he's coming in after the very capital of the United States was under siege to stop a election certification. Let's not forget, they didn't just have a fit or a riot. They came to interrupt the election certification, the electoral college certification of the president, which was an attempted coup d'etat. To be able to come together and, and bring all of that together and unite is an awesome task. But guess what? When you look at all of the adversity, politically and personally, that Joe Biden has had to deal with and overcome things he couldn't see coming. If you look at Kamala Harris, who had to do the same as a woman, as a woman of color, who was always doubting her career, they were built for this moment. And I hope they rise to the occasion. And there are going to be those of us that are advocates that are going to want to put the agenda of our constituencies up front and they're prepared for all of that. I have seen Joe Biden at eight years there with President Obama, who had to deal with all kinds of adversity. I've seen Kamala Harris and Noah Well having to deal with it. I think they're built for this moment, if anyone is built for this moment. But let's not underestimate yeah. the gravity of the moment. Indeed. Uh, Reverend Al Sharpton and Michael Beschloss, thank you both very much. Really appreciate you guys being here this evening. And up next, the end of an era. My parting thoughts as Donald Trump prepares to exit stage right, hopefully for the last time. You won't want to miss that. Well, America, here we are. Tonight is the last episode of this show with Donald Trump as president of the United States. That was a close call, but American democracy has survived 1,461 days of his tenancy in our White House. This American carnage stops right here and stops right now. Get him out. Get him out. Get him out. We have low energy Jeb Bush, Lion Ted, and... Little Marco. As I say, crooked Hillary, crooked Hillary. I called the fake news the enemy of the people, and they are. They are the enemy of the people. This awful, disastrous presidency will come to its ignominious end tomorrow at noon. And by this time tomorrow, Joseph Robinette Biden Jr., the one-time vice president to America's first black president, will be the president of the United States. And Kamala Harris, a black and Asian-American woman, will be the vice president. History made. Now, you might have noticed if you watch this show on a regular basis that I have not referred to the soon-to-be former occupant of the White House with the honorific president, with the exception of when it slips in through the occasional quote from another media source. That omission has always been quite deliberate. My parents were immigrants. I deeply respect the office of the president and all that it, well, used to convey. But from the day that he threw his hat into the ring and rode down that escalator in his tacky New York Tower, Donald Trump has not spent one day acting like an American president. He literally doesn't work. He spent most of his presidency playing golf. 
It's abundantly clear he never wanted the job. He just wanted the glamour of the job, the marketing. To be clear, we've had 45 American presidencies, some good, some great, some terrible. But we've never had a president quite like Donald J. Trump. No American president, not even the truly venal ones like Andrew Johnson or Andrew Jackson or racist Woodrow Wilson or tricky Richard Nixon, who was, was elected with the help of a foreign power. None of them, let alone a hostile foreign power like Russia. And none of them has been as servile to a foreign government as Trump has been to the Kremlin and to Vladimir Putin personally. He just said it's not Russia. I will say this. I don't see any reason why it would be. Russia, if you're listening, I hope you're able to find the 30,000 emails that are missing. No American president has used the office so openly and directly for personal profit. Now, other American presidents have stolen children from their parents. I mean, a dozen of them owned, exploited and sold enslaved humans, after all. And presidents like Andrew Jackson made slaughtering indigenous people and separating them from their land into a dark art. But Trump found a way to combine every rotten trait of all of our worst presidents into one stinking mutated Hulk. The Muslim ban and migrant child caging were like Chester Arthur's 1880s Chinese Exclusion Act meets Cal Coolidge's Racist Immigration Act of 1927 meets the internment of Japanese Americans by FDR. Trump's criminality, self-dealing, and corruption make Dick Nixon look like white Santa. Santa's black. And the 400,000 dead from coronavirus certainly recall the lies Woodrow Wilson told about the Spanish flu, though Trump fell a bit short of Wilson's 675,000-person death toll. Not that he didn't try. No president has ever launched an insurrection against this country until Donald Trump did it while lying so much that he personally ushered in the post-fact era. The fake polls, the fake everything. Biden. The whole Russian thing was an excuse for the Democrats losing the election, and it turns out to be just one excuse. Obamacare is a disaster. It's virtually dead. The most popular person in the history of the Republican Party is Trump. Can you believe this? This man is a Confederate apologist worse than even Andrew freaking Johnson, his fellow racist one-termer who got impeached one fewer times than Trump did. He's our most un-American president and will certainly be ranked as our worst president. But it's highly likely that Trump won't be our last awful president. His very presence and the fact that a, let's say it, ridiculous man like this became president of the United States at all and then won even more votes when he lost the popular vote for the second time during his reelection effort. That fact is proof that as rotten as Trump is, and he is rotten, he can happen again. I don't know who needs to hear this, but this is who we are, at least in part. Let's just take this last four years as a warning. And that is tonight's readout, the last one with Trump as president. And I will be back at 10 p.m. Eastern with my exclusive hour-long interview with Speaker Nancy Pelosi. You don't want to miss it.
MSNBC is going to be live here all night. Today's news requires more facts. Palestinians and Israelis are blaming each other for the tragedy that has inflamed the region. More analysis. Most of the states with the worst rates of gun deaths are ones where Republicans control the state government. And more perspective. This is not just about women and pregnant people in Texas. This is about people across this country. The world's never been harder to understand. That's why it's never been more important to try. MSNBC. Understand more.